Hi, this is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster. And this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today on the podcast, we have an interview with the great Gates McFadden. Woo! Yay! Yay! Uh, So before we get to that, let's jump into some news, and then we get to talk to Gates. So let's start with more blabbing from our friend John Delancey. Just a little bit more. So the last couple of podcasts we've talked about John Delancey on Cameo, talking about Star Trek Picard and shooting on Star Trek Picard. After our last podcast, he blabbed a little bit more and perhaps said the biggest thing yet, which is he talked again about how he's shooting six episodes, but he said he's spreading them over two seasons, over seasons two and three, which confirms apparently that they're shooting two seasons back to back of Star Trek Picard right now. Yeah, we talked about this a few weeks ago when when LeVar Burton was maybe it was last week when LeVar Burton was saying, oh, I'm not in season two. I may be season three. <laughs> right. Well, he I mean, he is. It was one of those very like lawyerly things where Whippy Goldberg says, are you in Star Trek? Word? And he says, I can unequivocally say I'm not in season two. Right. <laughs> She's like, okay, so that seems oddly specific. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so it kind of sounds like he not only is in season three, but is booked for season three because season three is sooner than we realized, like right. this summer, maybe. Or, you know, maybe they're shooting them in a weird way. I mean, we're, we're not sure how they're shooting the, the show. They could be doing things out of order or who knows. Um, like the but, Orville's doing, trying to emulate that. Who knows? Yeah. Previously talked about how they definitely spent time during the pandemic because they remember they were supposed to start shooting in June 2020. So they had scripts ready by not all the scripts, but enough scripts ready by June 2020 to start shooting. But obviously they couldn't because, you know, the world they spent from June 2020 to February 2021 rewriting. They apparently wrote a third season. Right. Or enough of one so that they can get going soon. And I think that's good. I mean, we always expected this show to last three seasons. I think they signed him up for three seasons. I hope that they are planning for it to just be three seasons, in fact. I don't yeah. want to see season four. I I like I like miniseries. I like shows that are compact. You know, I used to live in the UK where shows would last like six episodes, you know, and that would be it, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, this whole like notion that things should go on for seven seasons at 20 something episodes. It just it ends up, you end up with a lot of junk in there. Yeah. I mean, it depends on what it is, but I think in this case, because also because it's serialized. And so I think that with a serialized story, you want to feel confident that there's an ending that's going to be a good payoff. Yeah. I, I always like when, networks kind of let they give a show one last season and they say this is your last season go write your last season yeah and then the showrunners can develop something that they know ends you know? right right well it seems like um so we we've been laughing about how his cameos are just going out right and left and they're flying out with all this information but it looks like that may have come to an end yeah so since <laughs> our last article on this a few more Delancey cameos have come out and not only is he not dropping new things about Picard he's not mentioning it at all then the previous times like he would bring it up 
you know, you'd say, hi, I'm John Delancey, I'm Q, you know, happy Mother's Day. And oh, by the way, blah, blah, blah about Star Trek Picard. And, (laughs) and, and now it just doesn't come up at all. He got that phone call. He got the phone call. Everybody gets the phone call. Yeah, sooner or later, everybody gets that phone call or that email. They say something they shouldn't. And then boom, it's like, don't talk about it anymore. And we know it's funny that Discovery crew is so well trained that they won't say what they had for breakfast. (laughs) Right, right. But uh, still, uh, it was great while it lasted. Um, Now, you guys, uh, regular TrekMovie.com podcast network listeners may have just listened to an entire episode of the shuttle pod dedicated to um, Q and Delancey returning. And if you haven't, then you definitely want to check that out. Yeah. I just listened to it this morning. Actually. It was great. Those guys are so much fun. And we talked a little bit about stuff that Delancey said, but the, there's something that Brian brought up that I just want to pick up on. Cause I think it's an interesting concept. Brian's talked about how Q may see that Picard cheated death. So if Q is putting Picard on trial, as Delancey implied or said, that all kind of fits together. I kind of like this notion of Q coming in saying, you know, because he is a god kind of, and he's, you know, you're supposed to be dead, which of course has a parallel with Tapestry, which is one of the best Q episodes, of course. Mm -hmm. And that could launch us into the thing we've kind of talked about, because obviously this the season is the time travel season. You know, you just have to watch the teaser trailer. and They use the word time like 16 times. I was going to so. say 47 times. <laughs> so maybe this is a it's a wonderful life or that, you know, or a Scrooge kind of thing with Picard traveling through time and through alternative universes. And this is all perhaps something to do with Q saying, do you deserve this second chance at life or something? That's yeah, a, that, that's a working theory, I think. I think. And uh, as as we've talked about, the show is very personal about him. Uh, so I think that that makes sense as a big plot point. And I'm also thinking it would actually if if it is some kind of if we're going to see alternate timelines within it, like what would have happened if um, yeah. that gives them a lot of good opportunities with their other characters as well. And they've got some really good actors on that show. So I, I would relish that opportunity. And now we see where Guinan, who has her special ability to notice alternate timelines. Yeah. One that's in, in addition to her jazz hands uh, <laughs> defense of cues. She is, I think, the only person we know that kind of knows when she's in an alternate timeline. Well, unless you count uh, um, Stamets on Discovery, but yes. How did Stamets know? And he knew in the loop. It was because of the mycelial network, I think. But he knew oh. bec- he knew in the time loop that he was the only one who was outside of it. Good callback. Okay, so that's enough about Q and Star Trek Picard. The latest awards thing is uh, Star Trek Discovery won three CAFCAD awards, which is a Canadian uh, guild for costumes. You mean people don't know what CAFCAD is? <laughs> I mean, you'd be surprised though how many shows shoot in Canada because it's not just Toronto; it's also Vancouver, and uh, they had a lot of competition. A lot of genre shows uh, obviously shoot up in Canada, um, and they went in with a lot of nominations. They came out with three, including you know the best costumes for a genre show in general, which Gersha Phillips accepted from the Bridge of the USS Discovery. 
which was cool. Yeah. There's a, it's not news, but another game has brought in some Star Trek stars to help promote it. So a few weeks ago, Michael Dorn uh, did his viral campaign for Star Trek Legends, the new RPG on Apple Arcade. Uh, This week, the game Star Trek Fleet Command, which has actually been out for a couple of years, very popular mobile game, by the way. They brought in some big hitters. Yeah. Carl, Carl Urban and Sonequa Martin-Green. They didn't screw around with some silly viral campaign. They just released all these ads um, online. And you'll see the ads on Instagram and other places. But uh, there's four. We put them all together on Trek Movie if you want to watch them all. And I got to say, those two... They commit. It is those ads are fun. They really got into it. Yeah, and they shot them on. There's like a combination of some that where they're like Sinek was in her house and she's talking to Carl and he's on the bridge of a Klingon ship, and then they did some with virtual sets where Carl's on a virtual USS Enterprise from the Kelvin and Sinek was on a virtual version of the uh, Discovery Bridge, and they're like uh trash talking each other's ships which i think was kind of funny yeah i think uh, i thought they did a really nice job even just the first one where she's you know she's sitting on her couch and he's like i'm watching you she's like on my couch like in my house so it's they they definitely got playful and fun they're very entertaining so it it is the prime universe kelvin universe crossover we've all been waiting for <laughs> <laughs> finally finally um not really, but, you know, that's all we get for now. There's a little bit of business news of the first quarter report for Viacom. CBS came out this week and they do the old investor call and talk about how things went. And they're talking about up Paramount Plus launch went well for them. They got millions of new subscribers and the CEO of Viacom CBS talked about how one of the things that helped uh, was discovery, even though discovery was barely part of C of uh, Q1 because it really just wrapped up. But I think, I think what they see is that a lot of people subscribe at the end of a season and just binge it. I know I do that with some right. services. Right. So, um, so anyway, mentioned discovery a few times one good thing is he reconfirmed that season four of discovery is coming at the end of the year. He also said prodigy is coming later in the year. I don't know exactly what that means, but it's good to know that both of those are still on track. The Paramount plus is going to get enhanced with a thousand new movies next month, early next month in June. And they're adding the new four ninety nine tier. To let's Paramount hope, Plus. Let's hope they organize those movies in a way that makes it easy for people to figure out what they want to watch. And add the wish list. I mean, if you've got because yeah. they're gonna have twenty five hundred movies, they said, by July, which is a lot of movies. So now we don't know how many Star Trek movies are gonna be in there, but it sounds like they're clawing back as much of their library as possible. So there's gonna be a ton of movies in Paramount Plus. And if they don't have an easier way to navigate and save favorites by this summer, I don't know. My head's going to explode because that, that's just crazy. <laughs> you know, so, but I mean, it's great that they're constantly adding content to Paramount Plus, but they've got to improve the app. I could go on and on. Yeah. I'll just leave it at that. But it's like, thank you for the content. Now make the app better. 
I would agree. They have some shows that I really like. They have good content, but it can be hard to find. And some content arbitrarily goes missing, as a bunch of people noticed on Facebook this week, and I checked as well. Three episodes of season one of Discovery are no longer available. Maybe they're back by now, but yesterday they could be. They were gone. I think for for a little while the pilot for Voyager was missing. You know, I mean, it's just weird stuff like that happens. Yeah. Um, I think that's all back now. Um, they're also really committed to doing a lot of new movies on Paramount Plus. So they're going to be so regular Paramount theater movies like a Quiet Place Part Two and stuff will show up on Paramount Plus within forty five days, I think. But they're also going to do some original movies, including a sci-fi movie called Infinite this summer with Mark Wahlberg. And more, but he talked about more and more original feature films exclusively for Paramount Plus tied to brands. And he mentioned Nickelodeon stuff, and we've already seen one SpongeBob movie. But again, that triggers the thing of, you know, mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if we see a Star Trek movie made for Paramount Plus in the next four years. He didn't I mentioned this, this is just me speculating, but yeah. I think that's entirely a possible thing because they, they talked about doing i need to double check like a movie a week some kind of movie event either a theatrical movie that's now there or something so they, they want to make movies a big part of paramount plus including original movies so why not why not do a star trek movie i don't want that i don't want paramount plus to be the home of star trek movies and have them give up on theaters which they obviously aren't because paramount just announced it a June 2023 feature film, which will be on Paramount Plus by September, I guess, right? Or August 2023. But we could see Star Trek movies. What do you think of the idea of that? I think it's a great idea because I would like to see that. I like seeing a Star Trek movie that isn't tied to a giant blockbuster budget um, and, and the needs of that kind of audience as well. Like I like strong stories less fewer explosions um (laughs) so i feel like this that would be an opportunity to explore something and do something fun without the pressure the high stakes pressure of having to be a global in theater success right now i'm gonna get real inside baseball now but this has a possible implication for star trek so in the last few years paramount or viacom cbs has taken an interesting approach to how they license things I mean, you'll notice things like, you know, why is it you can see South Park on HBO Max, right? That's weird, right? Because isn't that a Viacom show? Which it, it is. is, yeah. Um, but in in recent years, they took this approach of doing a lot of licensing deals to get cash and to help keep themselves going, I guess, and to help invest. This year, they decided to do a cash raise, which means selling stock, and um, it's complicated, but they basically have implied that they're not going to be doing these kind of crazy licensing deals. And I think we may see in the next few years, I would not be surprised if the Star Trek library and other things they license, I mean, you know, all sorts of stuff they license, um eventually gets all clawed back to paramount plus which we've seen the other you know yeah. you have to go you have to go to peacock to watch the office now the office was huge on netflix um and you have to go to hbo max to watch friends 
and in a way, Viacom CBS have been the most egalitarian licensor. Um, and whereas others are getting very stingy and I think they're eventually Viacom CBS is going to do the same thing. And I would not be surprised if it became the sole home, at least domestically of Star Trek content. Um, that, that I'm not saying they've, they've not announced this. They've not even hinted at this, but right now you could watch Star Trek on everything. It's on yeah, Netflix. It's, it's on Hulu. It's on Amazon. You know, yeah, yeah. No one has, except for the originals, uh, the new Star Trek originals, all the old, older library content um, is basically everywhere, except for the animated series. I think that might only be on Paramount Plus now. And you can also, I mean, depending on what channel you're watching it for people who still, I don't know what that means anymore, but people sometimes apparently just turn on their TV to see what's on, like I used to when I was, you know, seven. And they... <laughs> They are watching Star Trek on various channels there too. I think that will continue. I mean, that's a whole, that's syndication. And that's, I think I'm talking about streaming only streaming only. Although for free streaming, I think that will, I think that is only available. Star Trek is only available on free streaming via Pluto. Right. And, and and speaking of which, this week Pluto is expanding their Spanish language channels, so they've added a new Star Trek in Spanish channel, uh, Viaje de las Estrellas. Is it dubbed or is it subtitled? It's dubbed. Yeah, I mean, just you know, yeah. you know, when you, if you watch Star Trek in Latin America, you you know it as Viaje de las Estrellas. You know the the, the voices of these um, people are all these dubbed voices. I'm just thinking that. That would be a great way to learn Spanish for me, especially if it's a, a show like original series that I know so well. <laughs> I think I think right now I'm not sure. But I think right now they just have the next generation on going. That'll work. It just launched uh, this week, uh, but they may be adding more. I'll I'll have to check into that. Anyway, so uh, Star Trek I mentioned a few times in the call, just showing that they still considered an important part of Paramount Plus and the future of Viacom CBS. Um, there was no mention of feature films at all, not just Star Trek film. They, 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 strangely, there was like very little mention of Paramount Pictures, um, except for how they related to streaming. Because the Wall Street really is just obsessed with streaming, you know, which is kind of good for fans of Star Trek because that you know, Paramount Plus is clearly seeing Star Trek as an important part of the portfolio. And I think by next year, we will get to where they have, there's a new Star Trek show on Paramount Plus every quarter. New meaning a new season, not a new new show. But What a world. I want to live in that world. Yes, that'll keep this podcast busy. <laughs> okay, so that's it for the week of news. We're now going to bring on Gates McFadden. You all know her. You all love her. As you should. As you should. On May 12th. Uh, she's launching a new podcast called Investigates, and where she's going to have a lot of her friends on from Star Trek, and so, and she's also the executive producer on the new History Channel documentary series coming in September called The Center Seat. So we're really excited to talk to her. Let's bring her on. Well, we're so happy to welcome an icon of Star Trek: The Next Generation, Gates McFadden. Welcome, Gates. Well, thank you very much. Welcome. Welcome to you, too. We're both 
talking podcasters. It's so cool. I know. I love it. Podcaster to podcaster. We're, we're colleagues now, I feel. I know. I, it's so exciting. I am just a baby. This is the only world that I feel I'm young in. <laughs> <laughs> so how what got you interested in doing this podcast in the first place? Well, it was actually um, Brian Bulk Weiss, who's the CEO of Nacelle, who called me out of the blue and said, you know, I really think you should do a podcast. I, I, I want you to do a podcast for, for us. Um, and I said, why? <laughs> like out of the loop, and I couldn't figure out. And he went, no, no, I think it'd be really good. And, you know, you could talk about stuff. They've never had an actual one of the main characters talking to others. And I said, yeah, but here's the thing, Brian, there would be no way, even if I offered millions of dollars to get my friends to come on a podcast and talk about Star Trek. We do it all the time and we don't do that with each other. <laughs> so I, I, that's how it, it first happened. And I, I turned it down a couple of times because I just thought, eh, I don't really know what I would talk about. And I didn't have any particularly um, transformative vision about what I would do. And, and he kept asking and said, no, no, look, it'll be, um, It'll be you talking to your castmates. You know, that's something that I would be very interested in hearing, he said. We've never heard that. And I thought, well, okay. And then as I've told uh, Lori, I don't know who's using what, but basically I, I was still going back and forth. And I thought, well, you know, the last time I turned down something that many times and it came back to me was Star Trek. And look how it changed my life. So I thought, <laughs> maybe I should just sort of like, get the chip off my shoulder about not knowing what I'm doing and just sort of think of this as an open opportunity from someone else who believes in me to try to do something. So that's, that's how it happened. And, and then uh, I did talk to Luna, who's a dog and basically the dog dared me to do it because I had two biscuits. The one on the left was I'm going <laughs> to do it. The one on the right, I was not going to do it. And she had never let me touch her, pet her, anything. This is my friend's dog. And I thought she's not going to take either of the biscuits and I'm going to have to make the choice. But after a three minute back and forth, she was like, it took three full minutes. She looked like she was going for the right biscuit, but she went for the left one. And I went, okay, I guess I'm doing the podcast. So, you know, a dog dared me to do it. That's what I say. So, so does the dog get 10% now? Absolutely. Uh, you know, the dog has uh, a lot to, to say about what, is going on and uh, is hoping for some very good dog biscuit samples that might be sent our way. <laughs> <laughs> I need to adopt that method of decision-making. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds you know I think Luna was really intuitive. I, I mean, seriously, it's one of those things we laughed so hard, but it was really true. And from that second on, she has, she comes to me immediately now when she sees me, I, I think, I think she has money in, in the podcast somewhere that I just don't know. <laughs> So was she right? Are you enjoying it? You know, I am. I, I, well, I was nervous at first. I really was because I mean, you don't talk to your friends uh, and sort of have to do this conversation that is going to be public. So they were all very cool. Um, I was the one who was like, oh my gosh, okay, I've got to keep the ball rolling or whatever. And I think my voice was up here sometimes. I just, <laughs> you know, it was really funny. And I'm going, wow, relax. But it became hilarious. And I, ha I there are some hilarious moments that happen and some very powerful moments. 
they're just an incredible group of people, not only the next gen people, but people in other castes. And I'm, I'm kind of in awe of how the producers and picked people and obviously the casting people brought them people who were very much in a, there are people who are wanting the world to transform and into a better uh, world. And they do care about change and they do care about inclusion and tolerance. And so that's kind of awesome um, to be part of that world. And they're all funny and smart and very different. So each podcast is different. And and wouldn't you say that your relationship with each of these, like they're described as your friends, but are they, are they you know, it, does that mean everyone who's going to be on the podcast is someone you have this, you know, close relationship with or will there be people on there that were kind of it's like i have to have slept with them but (laughs) um, that's that's kind of my own no that's not my requirement go ahead i interrupted you for for no but that's like like um a lot of them are obviously star trek people but you know there's there's a difference between Frakes and Picardo and Michael Westmore and Nana Visitor. You know, there's kind of layers of the Star Trek onion from how close they were to you. You know, so I guess my question is, how is it different when you're talking to someone who's not a you know not someone you know as well? You know, and is that easier or harder to do? Well, for example, Michael Westmore, we clicked from the, the get go. So actually, I do feel I cannot see him for a couple, three three months six months a year even and it goes right back to what it was when it would be every morning and he he would have all this stuff covering his glasses and he'd be doing my beauty makeup and I'm like Michael could you please wash your glasses (laughs) (laughs) I love that man and he's like so extraordinary and Nana you know I would run into Nana at different conventions and she was so um wonderful that I wanted to get to know her so I I was calling her and we were talking about other things and she'd come over for dinner. So it actually is a very natural thing. Like Picardo, I know Picardo. I mean, we had, first of all, we have similar friends that we know from the theater world, just like Ethan Phillips. Um, in fact, Ethan and I both, the, George Gerties was a friend of both of ours. And uh, I had lost touch with him over the years and he just recently passed. Uh, passed and uh, I was watching the memorial video that was put that, that Loudon Wainwright the third did who I used to date and so that's how I had first met George and all that so and there's Ethan Phillips and I'm like oh my god you know there's another thing we have in common and so I called him up right away and we talked about George Curtis. so there's we have more in common than probably fans realize and we do run into each other every time there's a convention and when we're on the cruises we we always are hanging out so we get to know each other. And yes, it's different because I didn't film with them. But in terms of, it's not about Star Trek, this podcast. So I don't have to know what someone's character did in season three. You know, I just, I'm talking to them as a person and uh, they're all very different and very interesting. Do you have any guests lined up that would really surprise us? Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, Whoopi's agreed to do one. I can't wait for that. Um, because I really, she's just amazing. 
And no, I don't think there's any guests that would really surprise you. I know that I have been, you know, we did some of these political fundraisers for Biden and I was very impressed with uh, Michelle Hurd and uh, Allison, all of the Picard actors are really wonderful. And also Sonequa Martin Green is, is just extraordinary actress. Um, so I would someday love to talk with her because here she is. We both had babies while we were filming and that would be something that we had in common. Um, and I have enormous respect for her talent. All of them. They're, they're really very well-spoken, very, they're great humanists is what they feel like every time I've ever run into them and also fun. Yeah. I watched those fundraisers too. They were a lot of fun. The title of the podcast, I don't, I don't know if you or Brian came up with this is, you know, clever. It's your name investigates and you've got the, it was a fan who came up with it investigates. I thought it was hilarious and wonderful. I love that kind of use of words. And so that, that was perfect for me. And I mean, it took a long time to figure out what it should be called. And some of the things that I really wanted in the beginning were, had already been taken. So, um, you know, I think, I think you sort of, I don't know, you guys have been doing the same thing. Did you just find your way after you're doing it? It sort of becomes something that you go, well, I want to talk about that. And then you, you go with what the person's experience is. I obviously research before I do them, even though I know these people and have watched um, their movies or different things that they've done outside of Trek. I, I haven't watched everything. And, you know, how do you approach it? Well, we've been at this for, I mean, Trek movies had a, uh, a different podcast for years and I, and uh, Lori and I just started this within the last year. And I feel like we're still learning. We're getting better at it. And, uh, you know, it's something new every week. Um, and especially when we're now doing more interviews, it's, it's just a, you know, it's, it's a challenge and, 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 uh, but it's fun and exciting. And I love when we, you know, have a guest like yourself on and learn something new. That's what makes it fun. But I do beat myself up every week about all the things I did wrong. <laughs> well, one of the things that I have started to um, realize is that I like someone recording from the second we get someone on because we can always edit out stuff. And sometimes the funniest stuff is said in the first minutes before, you know, you start recording. And I, I always find that interesting. It's sort of like, you know, there can be technical problems. We've had that several times. Jonathan was in Maine and I was in L.A. There was a windstorm. And then Marina, the Wi-Fi was really not good. So we had a delay. I think that was the toughest one because we would kind of overlap, you know. Um, but, he, I mean, if anyone's funny and charming that would be marina so it, it, it all came out just fine but yeah it's fun i think getting to know the technology has been really interesting learning how to edit has been um yeah it takes forever and you make mistakes and i've had to learn and then i've lost something and then i had to start all over again i did that with will Wheaton's. i had done all of the the editing and then the thing got lost because of a software glitch and I had to do the whole thing over again. I was like, why did I take this? You know, but it, <laughs> it in the end it's, it, it, 
it was such a great thing to have, especially during the pandemic, because I would just be in this small, tiny studio that I made in my house with all these quilts on the wall. And <laughs> and I've got books all surrounding me that it became this little haven. So when I would even just walk out into the kitchen, it was like I'd gone to another country. <laughs> it sounds like the first season are people that you know pretty well. Um, right. But it sounds like for the second season, you want to branch out into some of these people that are maybe, you know, you've met a few times, but it would be a, a kind of different thing. Like someone like Sonequa and, uh, you know, so are there other guests like that, that you want to talk to that are people that you might not know at all? Oh, absolutely. And there's, there's other people who are, you know, in my life or different people that that could be an interesting person to speak to as well. I haven't, um, you know, I, it was such a push to get the first 14 down and, and um, I still haven't finished editing all of the 14, but, but um, I've done 11 fully. And uh, I, I'm just going to take it as it goes. First of all, I have to see if people are interested, if they enjoy it. Uh, I, uh, it's a risk as we all know when you try something new that you haven't done, you might fail at it. And I was, I think I went into it knowing that was a possibility, but why not try something new? I guess that speaks to how much of my career has gone. People have come up to me with an idea like that's how Jim Henson happened. He, he approached me. Um, Star Trek, it was kind of that way in a sense. I did the first audition, but then I said, no, I, I feel even with teaching, the teaching happened as a fluke. I never said, oh, I want to be a teacher. I just kept getting offered jobs because my great teacher didn't want the jobs and he would recommend me. And that's how it started. <laughs> and then I developed my own reputation. So I'm, I'm, when I look at my life, I'm, I realized that it's, it's, I've moved around in a lot of different things. I've been a choreographer. I've done that in New York. I did it for film, but I also have acted on, uh, I acted in New York and had a wonderful career doing that and then moved out here and things were different. And I, I, I don't know. I like it. That's why I traveled to France and I wanted to see what it was like to do a, a renovation on something that was from the 1200s, you know, and I've, I just, that's who I am. I think I like to take on things that I, I don't know about, but I'm curious about. So that's what's been happening with this podcast. And in the same way, the whole Star Trek thing, you know, it's as I've gotten to know different fans, I have learned so much from fans. Um, I've learned about the impact and importance of Star Trek, for example, because when you're doing it, you're not so aware of it. You're just dealing with your character's intention and what the scene is about. But when you talk to people who whose lives have been impacted by the characters because the characters were role models, you realize how significant the this community is and, and the impact of the series on the greater world. And and so I think learning learning is kind of what it's about, staying curious. And as long as I can do that, I think I'll, I'll be, I'll be fine. It's the minute you close down and you 
feel, well, wait a minute, I want to do this and this didn't work out or whatever. I, I think it, it, it's just not as fulfilling. So while you're learning all this new stuff and having new experiences, you're having these conversations with people that you've obviously known for a very long time. Have you, because of the podcast, have you learned anything new about these, your friends that, that took you by surprise? Um, yeah, I've learned some very, I've learned some funny things. I mean, Michael Dorn was specifically talking about the music his bands would play in certain gigs, which was hilarious to me. And, um, you know, it's what people want to talk about. Nana talks about, um, a very heavy incident in her life, which she's talked about before, but it, it, we, we went to different places about many different things. And I also was fascinated by her family, her family's background. Uh, Will Wheaton was so much fun because I, I wanted to come up with something that would be sort of a game. And so we were playing games, but when we played the games, you learned a lot about us maybe too much, <laughs> but you know, it might, some people might be offended. There's several things that people might be offended about. And I had to make a decision. Do I, can I just be myself and say what I would say? And certain people aren't going to like it. And that's the risk you take, but I'll find out. I'll, I'll learn from the response. You, you kind of brought that up a, a little bit of if something is difficult or there's a, a memory from back in the day, next generation, something that was unpleasant or controversial, you know, like the, there was the season where they removed you from the show, for example, you know, are are these things you want to dive into or you want to keep it lighter and you don't want to dwell on stuff like that? I think in, in certainly for the first group, I did not want to get dwell on things like that. Uh, I wanted it to be not talking about Trek, as I said. I wanted it to be talking about things that might have happened to us, like, you know, Brent. There, there's a hilarious, hilarious moment. I I had such a guffaw, belly laugh on this because he reminded me of something that I didn't remember the same way. It had nothing to do with Star Trek. And it was hilarious. Um, I think, uh, you know, if, if if you could talk for hours and hours, you'd come up with stuff. Again, I'm looking for a format which is the best format, and I don't know if I know the answer to that yet. But I do know that it's it's I'm on a path that that is interesting to me. I don't want it to be I don't want it to be a place where people are airing their dirty secrets or anything like that. I don't want it to be negative. I want it to be something where we can be embracing the good, and who knows where it might go? I don't know. Um, it might not go or it might go much further, but I feel that you get a range in these first episodes of the possibilities. And certainly, you know, I mean, you see how easy we are with each other in terms of making each other laugh and playing around as well as discussing something serious, but it's a fine line between, you know, people are, we're all of us so used to being interviewed we can just tend to do monologues, you know? So it's, it's finding the way where it can be a joint conversation. And um, so, so you'll let me know. I'm curious to know what you think. Be kind, but I'm, you know. 
everyone wants feedback. So, but you, I'm I'm sure you'll get feedback very quickly. Oh, because... I'm, I will. <laughs> you will. Yeah, you don't have to worry about that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> telling me don't read the comments. Don't read the comments. You know, it's, and I probably won't. But I'll get feedback eventually. Now, you mentioned Brian at the start of this. I know that you were named as an executive producer for the new docuseries for the History Channel, The Center Seat. Which came first? The podcast came first. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. The podcast came first, and then he heard good reports from the people who had listened to it. And um, so that's when it happened. And we, we really, I think, get along great. Uh, he's the sort of dream CEO that I never, never really had. I, I you know, he really, um, he's funny and uh, he's willing to take chances, and that's that's fun. So, can let's talk a little bit about the center seat. Um, has it already started production already? Right. Very much so. Yeah. It's, <laughs> uh, there's, uh, they, we already have sort of several episodes that have the rough cut already. Oh, cool. Yeah. No, it's and, moving very quickly. Very, very quickly. And what is your, I mean, I know what your title is, but what is your specific role? How are you involved? Uh, I would say talking with Brian about stuff, looking at it, giving, um, you know, calling people, trying to get them to, to do the interviews, helping with questions that are asked. You know, there's some questions, some people, I very much go over the questions that they're going to be asked. Other people I don't at all. So it's, um, and then I will be, I will be looking at the different episodes and giving my notes. I'm learning. I'm learning on that job too. I've never been an executive producer. (laughs) So there you go. I feel fortunate. You know, I, again, I am someone who is much more resistant than most people. Like, Jonathan said, man, I always say yes to everything. And, and I have always been, now, oh, wait a minute, what's, what's the catch? You know? <laughs> and I think that maybe I'm learning, just say yes. <laughs> so this docuseries, does it cover from 1964 when the first idea came into Gene Roddenberry's head to 2021? No, it doesn't go all that way. Uh, it, but it's open that it could continue but it doesn't go all that way, but pretty broad. And I think there's some people who have never, ever done interviews for documentaries who have done wonderful interviews that we'll be using. Before this, were you interested in the history of Star Trek? Was this something you wanted to know more about? You know, I was interested in certain aspects of it that were less about the cast, but more about, you know, it's incredible that the franchise has grown as much as it has, really. And when you think about how many different people have been involved and all of that, it's pretty extraordinary that it's still happening. It's very popular. There's still new shows being created as we speak. Uh, That fascinates me because I've only done, you know, I ran a hundred seat theater complex, although we had three theaters in the complex and now there are four. It, it was like a Herculean task to keep all the balls in the air. And that's such a tiny thing. Now, obviously people have, you know, I had like no staff, but there, there there's huge amounts of people who are involved in all this, but 
coordinating that and having it continue to work and from the the point of view of the studios and everything down to the actors who make the choices or the director who makes the choice i mean it's it's pretty amazing that it's such a beloved franchise really amazing and that was very interesting to me um I love looking at things and behind the scenes as well as people who are on camera. So again, I think I it's been doing the years of conventions and realizing the impact of this show and all the other shows and that it's still going on. You know, I, I hadn't watched more than the first uh, few episodes of season one of Discovery, but then I watched season three and I went, wow. This is amazing. And there was a shift, you know, and those things are very interesting. You have characters who are wonderful and then how they interact and what are the storylines going to do? And then you, then there's Picard and then there's, there's going to be the new one with Anson Mount and Ethan Peck, both of whom are wonderful, wonderful actors. I can't wait to see that. And, you know, initially, if you had told me early on that this was going to happen and it was going to be such a continuing franchise, I would have said, oh, come on, no way. Um, but it's not an easy thing to do. So it's really worthy. Uh, no, it's not worthy. It's worth it to take a look at how this happened. Don't you think? Absolutely. Well, it's what we do every day. <laughs> so much of that, I think, relied on the next generation. So let me ask you kind of a perhaps a difficult question. So, I mean, everyone always talks about the vision of Gene Roddenberry and that's imbued throughout the shows, but the, the franchise probably would not have succeeded if it weren't for the success of the next generation. And, and, and obviously Gene Roddenberry was required to create the show as he created the original series. But do you feel that Star Trek, the next generation succeeded because in a way people like Michael Piller and others moved beyond Gene's vision of the show from the beginning and kind of elevated it? Well, you know, absolutely. I think here's the thing. Time had changed. It was a different, different economy. It was a different uh, society. And so obviously there were many, many elements but you have to also go back to the fact that Gene was final approval on casting and Gene picked an amazing group. And yes, Rick Berman and Bob Justman were very much there. And I know that probably one of the reasons I was there was because of Rick Berman, because Rick had seen a theater piece I did in New York. And, and I, you know, it was a play I, I was a bit known for, and and I, I I would suspect that that had something to do with why I was called in for casting. But maybe it didn't. But it might have had an impact on if he said to Jean, "Oh yeah, I saw her in New York, and she's you know a good actress." That might have made a difference too. I I think that where Jean's it was the energy from Jean in terms of a positive future a world where people could get along and could, even if we disagreed, we could respect each other enough and try to find a solution that was not just taking them over. That part was Gene. And every other writer, Michael Piller, Bronan Braga, Ron Moore, they all brought their 
incredibly strong visions to the series. And yes, of course, it made a huge difference that it took it on to in new places. I mean, just having a character like Crusher for me was a single parent um, that she could be that high, uh, high of a ranking officer that I could actually tell the captain he, he couldn't, uh, he had to step down. Uh, Riker and I had the same rank. Uh, the fact that she was also, at least for a while, was there was a um, sexual in- relationships, seemingly, or some sort of relationship that was not just official between uh, Crusher and the captain. I mean, that was very different. Uh, there were many aspects of it that were a, a ways, quite a ways for, from the original series. Um, I want to ask you specifically about Picard and Crusher for a minute because I was just listening to Bran and Braga talking about the episode Cause and Effect where they go through the time loop and um, Fraser shows up at the end. But <laughs> he was talking about he was looking at a specific scene between you and Patrick Stewart and said that no matter how like the writers stopped writing that those characters as people with uh, romantic subtext, but the, the two actors, you and Patrick Stewart, always infused your scenes with it anyway. And is that true? Do you, do you, did you guys do that? Well, I think that there was a, a chemistry between us. And I think that, like, I really loved, I can't speak for Patrick, but I really loved playing scenes with his character. And I think that, you know, when you, in the first season, when we did the, the episode, The Naked Now, that was the audition scene that I did for <laughs> So it was there, it was this, you know, she's free and she's coming on to him and he's coming on to her. I loved that that was underneath. There was something so wonderful about these two people who were usually very serious, you know, because that was, Crusher became a very serious character. And I loved the humor. That was the audition. So I think we tried, you know, that's what's so wonderful about acting is you can put so many layers on something. And that's what makes it interesting, at least to me is that you, you know what your intention is, but there's, there's this whole characterological part of you. It's a, you've had background scenes together. And for me, yes, it was the fil- familiarity, like even using a ribbon in my hand, we had many things that got cut that we would do things that were more, uh, you know, just the way I would touch his hand or something. And those things would get cut out very often. So clearly there was something going on where <laughs> the producers did not want to to show that much. But just by even the way you would hold something like a ribbon in your hand, you can show a familiarity. It's not yeah, something. He, he brought up just the way you said thank you in the scene, he said, was so full of romantic subtext. <laughs> oh, oh, that's nice. Jonathan Frakes has talked about how starting with the pilot, he and Marina recognize that there's a thing going on between Troy and Riker. And even though both of them ended up having these, you know, other romances and stuff, they kind of had a little conspiracy as it were to always make it clear in their minds, you know, that there's still something going on between them. You know, so is this something you and Patrick talked about, about this chemistry or was it just kind of, just happening naturally. I think it was happening naturally because the thing is, I think somewhere somebody made a decision that if you have a male star, you want to make sure that they're with a lot of different women. You don't want to tie them down. There was something that was made that I never knew about, uh, but 
you know, it was different. It was because in the first season, it was clear that I was kind of the love interest or something from the very first time I'm on ship and I see him. And that I don't think it got back to that for a long time. And it got lost in between because when I came, when I was asked back for the third season, I thought I was still going to be the love interest. And they had scripts that were more for the Pulaski character. You know, you have to get these scripts way in advance. And it took a long time to get back to the character that I thought more the original role I was cast for returned. Um, and I don't know, you know, it's not it, you as an actor, you're not in charge of what they're writing. And uh, finally, we had the episode obviously attached, brought it back. But I think it's just the, the, you know, for the male character, it's better that they can have, you know, a new love interest every movie or, you know, whatever is going on. And I think that was that was at play. But, yes, there was always something. We had a chemistry and it was just it just happened. You know, we didn't sit and talk about it. It just happened. One of the other things Brandon Braga said in that interview that made me think about you was he talked about how the cast was so all in and was able to sell everything they were given. And he said, you know, they had no idea what was coming week after week. Here's your script. Here's your next story do you and he was very curious about what that was like for the actors and I was wondering like do you ever remember getting a script and being like what how the hell am I gonna make this one work oh absolutely all the time and sometimes you know lines could get just immediately changed and okay this is a Geordie line more than a crusher line or whatever and you know they they were paying us to be in it even if we had barely any lines in an episode so yes there were times where it was very funny and you had to work hard to to make like your character but I think the one that was the most shocking was Sub Rosa because when I was like wait a minute what my whole family have been in love with this lamp what (laughs) and yet so I mean really I read it and I went I was so excited to get an episode where I actually could you know get out of the uniform and do something but then as I'm reading I'm like wait a minute yeah but you know what you do the best you can and I love Jerry Taylor so much for thinking of me. She wrote it specifically for me. She was so great to do that. And I had fun playing it, you know? Yes, it's, there are a couple episodes that were not the typical Star Trek episodes, right? That was one. And the one I directed, which I adored the script. I thought Bronin's script was amazing. It was really cool, was Genesis. And, uh, but that again was more of a, it was less of a normal Star Trek thing, although the science about it was quite fascinating. We we do a weekly uh, screening party, the Trek movie gang, and we watch Genesis and we were all just blown away by how, every piece of it and how great it was. Like, oh, thank the, you. It was the directing, the acting, the choices, character moments, the makeup was incredible. And of course, incredible. now I want to know. Sorry, what? Incredible, I said. The makeup. Yeah. He wanted to nominate it for an Emmy. And then I went in for a week with the editor, JD, and I, and, you know, we talked through every scene and he said, I want to nominate this for an Emmy. (laughs) And then the studio said, no, they wanted to do all good things. So that's what was nominated, which I understand. I think it did. It got nominated for makeup, but it didn't win, which we were shocked by. No, this did not get nominated for makeup. It was all good things. Interesting. No, I know that because Michael and I talked about it. We also talk about it in the podcast. That was some of the most extraordinary makeup he ever did. And I know he really worked especially 
hard on it because we talked about it every day, you know, as I was prepping and, and he wanted, you know, he wanted it to be great. I had so much support from people like that. Uh, Tom, uh, Will Toms, who was uh, worked on all kinds of effects and he would do the smoke and different things. And he was so helpful. He was saying, just anything you need, what can I do? And, um, you know, the, uh, the only really tough moment was directing the iguana because, uh, (laughs) he had a different take on the scene than I did. And we argued for a long time, but you know, uh, but it was, it was amazing to have that creature, but you know, little things like, like, um, they had had, Troy in a bathtub with all these suds and she was just, you know, um, it was like adding a little bit of skin in there when, when I go in, when they go into the unit and find her. And I said, you know what? No, we've seen Troy in a bathtub. What we haven't seen is upside down in a uniform, which is scary and hair molting off, you know, that will be scary. And we don't know what her face looks like. And then he lifts her up. I mean, that's the kind of thing that I got into. And they, you know, like they let me do things like that, that, that was then changed and it wasn't a beautiful bubble bath. I know some fans will be disappointed, but. <laughs> no, I loved it. I had great choices. Mar- Marina has talked about how, oh, you know, you know, Marina, you know, and how outspoken she is. She's lamented about how the show didn't portray women the best all the time and didn't develop the characters. Well, do you feel, you mentioned Jerry, do you feel that, that by the seventh season when she was showrunner, that the show was the way it was portraying your character and other women was getting better? Oh yes. Oh yes. Um, definitely. You know, it's, um, it, it takes time. You know, I often say I was just born too young, you know, uh, takes a couple generations of people and it's so different now. And isn't that wonderful? I really want to celebrate it uh, now because it's great and it's the way it should be. And, and LGBTQ should be included in all of these things, but it wasn't that atmosphere at the time. So, you know, you, you, you see that it grew into something that was more open and inclusive, but I mean, you know, at this point, it's kind of wasted energy because I feel that it just didn't happen as fast as I would have liked. And it didn't necessarily happen to my character, but it happened, you know, and they started writing incredible female characters. And that were, I mean, when you think about Alice Krieger's character, I mean, that was a phenomenal character. And okay, she wasn't a regular on a show, but the women were started were being written in a really different way and much more well-rounded. I always, my, my lament, and I think it's why I got let go of that or my personality, but I, I think it's because I really felt that Wesley, who was saving the ship's ass every week, <laughs> there was nothing between he and I that had to do with anything intellectual. It was always kind of this, you know, Wesley, don't do that. And are you okay? And, and, and that, which was important, but I thought this would be a chance to show what a single parent does and how, how he's, how has he become so such a genius, you know? Um, and that would have been something I feel that happened later perhaps with Cisco, but 
it, I, I really wanted that at the time because I thought it was such a, uh, there was, as a single parent, you know, you, your, your child often talks about all kinds of things and you work on projects together and you get involved in things. And it would have been very wonderful, I think, to have had that so that it wasn't just a typical mother role. Here she is, like the Surgeon General of the universe. And there must have been times where they literally were working and developing some ideas together. Um, but that didn't happen. But on the other hand, I loved the Wesley Crusher character. And I think it was very prophetic about the world. Everybody was so, the original fans were so mean to him. But actually, it's what was happening in the tech world. Everyone was 24 years old, you know, and that's what was extraordinary about the show. Just like now we have cell phones, just like all of these things. Soon we probably will be using uh, transporters. <laughs> I'm sure of it. I think that the technology is based on where real scientists and futurists hope that we are going, hope that we are heading. So the last time we talked for Trek Movie, um, you indicated that your that you appearing on Star Trek Picard was a possibility. Um, do you have an update on that? Uh, you know, I'm not in the second season, uh, which is really, I'm, I'm sad that I'm not. So, but I, I there's uh, been, you know, things have changed a lot on different levels. So I have no idea at this point. I, I, uh, I'm disappointed because it would have been uh, so much fun to, to work with uh, those people, but we'll see. I, I have no idea. Wish I could tell you. So do I. Um, do you have like a vision in your head of what the Picard and Crusher relationship would be like in this era of Star Trek Picard? No, it could be any number of things. You know, I really think, I think people who have, by then people are living so much longer. And I know that when there's people in your past that you've loved, you kind of always love them and yet you're not going to be with them, but there's there's history there's background or there's it could be the same true could be in reverse people you couldn't stand maybe things have changed and um i think i don't know about you guys but i think a lot about time and pondering it and what is time and is it just this construct that we've put on something we don't understand and people in in uh, the next gen century they lived a lot longer and they could choose to change their appearances in ways that we we can't yet do. I don't know. I think there's a lot of possibilities. I wouldn't want to limit something uh, in a sort of soap opera way, but I think there's a tremendous amount of possibilities that could happen. But that's me, and I'm, I'm not a writer on the show. <laughs> we talked earlier about Picardo. He's He famously was constantly harassing the writers, trying to pitch them ideas, and how much of that did you do on either Next Gen or, or for the movie era, well, if the, at all? The movies were tough. We had such little roles. No, it was it was very clear. It was, that was very disappointing to see how small our parts were. Like, for example, you know, uh, an insurrection. There's not even an idea that there would be a reaction to Crusher watching card kiss someone else or whatever it's not that anything big would happen but just even subtle things that just was not dealt with it was like it had never happened sort of thing so that part was a little odd but 
in the in the first season, you see, I had been on on theater faculties and I had directed, and we we just you know people would just say things. They go like, I didn't like that first scene at all, or uh, you know, your last class, I, I disagreed with the way you did that. People would talk like that, and that you know, you were all equals. You just did it. I had no clue about just the politics and the ways things have to be done in a studio system on a television show. And so I think I really stepped on people's feet when I was trying, Oh no, I guess it's their toes. I didn't have to step on the whole foot, <laughs> but, um, but I, you know, I tried that with Maurice Hurley in it. And I think, I think that's the reason I wasn't asked back um, because I had ideas, but perhaps I didn't know how to ask those ideas. And I remember once going with Patrick into his trailer because we both wanted changes in the scene. I can't remember what, year it was i think it was later and we both agreed on what the, we wanted the changes to be and we had figured it out in his trailer i would say well what if i said this and he said and i could say that and everything but then it was the idea of calling it in and when you call it in you have to sort of do it in a way i think that is more politic and let the brighter think that they came up with the idea ultimately and maybe that that's that's what i've learned you you need to do things in a very different way and and patrick said yeah with the RSC, it was always that way. There was a whole way that you had to do things in order to get things done. And that was a valuable experience for him, I'm sure. But, you know, I, I loved things too, like when we did the play EGBDF. That was so much fun to rehearse at the studio and then tour it in these different cities and have 6,000 people in the theater who were fans of Star Trek and many of them had never seen an orchestra perform live, nor had they ever seen a play and they were seeing both. That was something that was extraordinary. And that was Patrick's idea. And he, he did just an amazing job with that. Things are a lot different now, including on Star Trek of the way that the writers and the actors interact. They're, there's, you know, they even allow improvisation now, which was, you know, against the law back in the nineties. They do. Oh, they my do. God. That's so cool. That's my biggest thing. That's what I, I used to teach that to. I love improvisation. Oh, it's so great. Like what show me tell me what what I wanna watch I wanna watch it. Where was there an improv that I can watch? Well, we never we never know oh, what was improv and what was not improv. Got it, but got it. the um you know, there's even a writer on set. So, you know, back, you know, as we understand back in, in the nineties when you're in next generation, the writers and the producers were off in the Roddenberry building and they were kind of, yeah, you know, so you're, you know, you may deal with someone like Michael Westmore every day, but those guys are kind of in their ivory tower. Going back to your podcast, is that something you want to maybe do to like, it might be interesting to hear you and Rick talk now. I've talked to Rick and Rick has said he would do it. I, here's the thing. I, I have really learned how hard their job was and i have so much more respect for the, for what they did people like ron and ron rick all of them because to get that many episodes together 26 episodes i was like i had no idea you know i'm i'm i was only thinking of uh you know the actor's point of view or the director's point of view but when you realize how hard it is to have 26 episodes and to even just get them up, let alone have them be as good as those episodes were. I bow down to them at this point. I'm like, wow, 
I really respect you for all that you did. And I don't think they were just in the ivory tower. I think they were probably writing on the next three episodes and they were busy and hassled. And what would be hard is that, yes, you'd have to close down shooting for a minute to try to get them to come to the set and show it to them. It's very hard jumping around from episodes in your mind. I I know that now from just my little journey as an artistic director in LA. It's very hard to be thinking on so many levels of the specifics of a scene. So I think it's great that they have a writer now on the set. That's smart. And I think it's wonderful that they allow some moments of improvisation. So things are moving forward, which is a good thing. Yeah, I think they're they they're including them like as they're rehearsing and mapping stuff out. It's definitely more of a conversation. I think that's I think. Great. I think it's great. Last year when the pandemic was just starting and these kind of virtual conventions started and you talked about how maybe it's time to rethink conventions. Now, in, you know, conventions have been a big part of your life and a lot of Star Trek actors lives the last few decades. Um in-person conventions are kind of about to start again this summer, right? Yeah. So, and you're going to Vegas, right? I am. And I'm excited to, to do them again. I really am not only for a paycheck, but also just to get out in the world again, to travel and to, uh, you know, our fans are incredibly great. You know, really, they are smart people who are progressive and, uh, as I said, I learn a lot from meeting them often, you know, I'll get into a conversation and I'm like, wow, that is so Star Trek, what they're talking about. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> but I think that what happens is we have to adapt. And I do think things will be different now. And we'll see if we have to be so careful. And if there's a second uptick in, in uh, infections and stuff, obviously things will be different. But I have kept up connections through all kinds of Zoom interviews and things like that with people, and that's great. I think I think we all will evolve, and maybe now they won't jam all the fans and, and us into a low-ceiling room because we could spread infection, and that's not a bad thing to think about, you know? Do you think that besides COVID and protocols, do you think there's other ways you would like to see conventions evolve change or are you kind of hoping they go back as close to the way they used to be just so we can get a sense of normalcy well i don't know i don't know what my total answer is i will say that i am much more of an introvert i like conversations that really you can talk about things and and that last longer the part that that is tricky is you can't have uh, a line of people and be um you can only talk so long to them. And then on the other hand, there's some people who talk too long to you and you kind of are like, okay, I, I, I'm because you, you don't know them that well, but always there's a curiosity. I like learning about things about like an area. Is there a lot of unemployment? What's the school system like? I mean, I can ask questions too. So I don't know what it's going to be like. I do want to get, back in a world where I am, um, I mean, it would be wonderful if we all didn't have to wear masks, but if we do, we have to, and that's going to make things different, isn't it? I mean, yeah, uh, we'll see what fans are willing to do, but there are also a lot of fans who can't wait 
to go to a convention because they can see their friends, let alone forget about the stars. They can see their friends. That's that's what they're missing the most is friends from all over the country who come to Vegas, for example. And they all, you know, can stay up all night partying and yapping about things. And, you know, that's that's the most fun. And that I think will be I hope that we can get back to that kind of time soon. But I don't have any, you know, in the beginning, I, like I was telling people about cameos. I actually really enjoy doing cameos. And that's the truth. There's something that when they tell me what the event is and what they want, in a way, a fan can, can not every time, but can get more personal things from me than they ever could in a line at a convention, In in a way, sometimes, because... Sometimes I try to be funny, you know, like somebody, they missed their anniversary because of COVID or they had planned their first anniversary was going to be on this island and they, everything had to be scrapped and stuff. They, and they told me where they were going and all this. And I just decided to do my cameo like I was in the Bahamas where they were supposed to be. <laughs> and I and I had, I had, you know, Jimmy Buffett on and I had a fake cocktail I had and, you know. <laughs> Hat and I'm like, where are you guys? I thought you were going to be here. What the hell happened? You know, and I mean, that's what I mean. I can do th- wacky things like that, and obviously that's not for everybody. But I, I love to do things like that. So that that's why sometimes, even if it's virtual, you can actually have something where you learn more f- about me <laughs> because you see a wacky side that doesn't always show up in when you're just sitting at a table signing autographs. Does that make sense? Yeah, that absolutely does. So um, this this podcast episode of uh, All Access Star Trek comes out on the 7th, uh, the week before your first episode, which comes out on the 12th of Investigates. Can you give us a little preview of uh, episode one of Investigates, which arrives on May 12th? What? Can I give you a preview? Oh, my yeah, yeah. Just tell us, my, tell us Jonathan, a little bit about your first episode. My Jonathan Frakes' voice just is not that good. Uh, <laughs> well, he, he goes Frakes. That's the first word, and <laughs> that's and it's pretty pithy. It's pretty amazing, and from Frakes, it just takes off from there. Um, you know, um, we talk about a lot of things. We talk about raising our kids. We talk about jazz. Uh, we talk about his his growing up life and uh, his dad, you know. And there's it, it's it's really a, I think a wonderful episode. Uh, what you can learn about Jonathan by listening. I don't know. I'm not going to say you learn about me in a, a way that's interesting because I can't judge, you know. But <laughs> uh, once you, once you must know this as podcasters, when you start editing the podcast and you listen to yourself, you're like, oh my god. Who is that person? And then you're like, oh, that's me. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, it's hard to listen to yourself, but it's, I love all my guests. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, that is definitely my experience. Well, I can't wait to hear it on May 12th. Same. All right. Thanks. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening. And uh, hopefully we'll see you in podcast uh, investigates. <laughs> you will. And that was Gates McFadden. I could talk to that woman for hours. Seriously. And you have. (laughs) And I have. If 
but I still have 500 more questions to ask her. So that was good though. What, what did you, what really popped to you in that conversation? Well, I mean, as you know, as because I'm obsessed with like, you know, newsy stuff, like I would say the newsiest thing she said was picking up on your last interview with her where last year she was basically saying, Oh yeah, I'm going to be on Picard basically. I mean, she, and she said there are conversations. Okay. Okay. Well, just to be fair, jumping to conclusions, but she used the word disappointed that she's not in season two and she wasn't doing it like LeVar, like I'm not going to be in season two, wink, wink. I think she doesn't have the, she has not been told she's going to be in season three either is what I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if she does end up in season three, but she sounds a little disappointed as she said. And so that was kind of interesting. I share her disappointment. I would like to see her in there. I just would. I always loved the two of them together. And I just, I'm a huge fan of hers. I can't help it. I want this. I want the Picard people to write the stories they want to write and then, and then have people from Picard's past fit into those stories organically. So that's how they ended up with Riker and Troy because they were kind of writing the season and there was a point where Picard needed to kind of retreat and go to safety. And they said, where could he go to safety? And that, and that made sense. So they weren't working from, okay, we want to use Frakes and Marina. How can we shoehorn them into the, you know, they weren't working backwards from the assumption. Right. So and I, I, I don't want them to say, okay, we've got to put Gates in somewhere. Where can we fit her? It, it's it got to come out of what they were going to do anyway, in my mind. I agree so, with you, but I always, to me, felt like his story should always, should circle back to her at some point because I felt that connection. I mean, it's funny. It's the thing she talked about in our interview about how they had a certain chemistry and how they kept that going, even when it wasn't supposed to be the story. So yeah, if she is the true, whether it ever was fulfilled or not, but the true love of his life, then I think, especially as he's coming to the end of his life, we need to get an update from Beverly, I think, and to see what happened. Cause what we still don't know entirely is what happened between Nemesis and season one in his personal life. And we, we know about the Romulans and a few little things, but, you know, did they ever get married? Did they, you know, did they drift apart? Did they have an argument? You know, it's, we, you know, people want to know, right? Yeah. And I also think that she knows him in a way that very few people know him. Yes. So I, I think it would make sense that if he is having any kind of doubt about who he is because of what's happened to him, she would be a person for him to talk to. It just makes sense to me. Whether or not it's it's still a romantic thing. I do think their bond is strong and their connection is intimate. Yes. So that's why I want to see her. Not just because I love her, which I do, but because I think that that connection is, is worth bringing back and, and respecting to some degree. Also, I enjoyed hearing her talk about her TNG days and directing Genesis. I thought I really liked the, the fact that she's the one who said, you know, Troy should be in the tub in her uniform. That was such a great, smart choice and made it so much more interesting than, oh, Troy's naked in the bath. So, uh, I, you know, A plus on that. It was cool listening to her talk about those things and her relationship with Wesley. I agreed with her completely what she said about Wesley. 
So, and I'm looking forward to the first episode, the Jonathan with Jonathan Frakes being the premier guest, uh, which is going to be on the 12th. Um, and we're going to have an exclusive clip from that on Trek movie. Yeah. So look for that. So that's it for this week. Um, let's move on to our bits of the week. Why don't you kick us off? All right. Mine is, I actually found it because of Neil Shirley's newsletter again, which is always full of gems, but this was the transcript. And you can listen to the audio too, of a 1972 Q and a session at the very first Star Trek convention called Star Trek lives. And it was DC Fontana famous writer and Majel Barrett. And it was actually moderated by Isaac Asimov, which is funny because he has to keep reminding people um, that here's how you do it. You go up to the mic and then you can ask a question. Like it's, it's Isaac Asimov telling people how to ask questions at a convention. Um, But it's, it's a very fascinating conversation, both for the information that they give, but also for how dated, you know, it's like they're, they're very forwards and very backwards at the same time. So there's the the worst of it, maybe, is when they're talking about, um, you know, Apollo, who mourns for Adonais, and how there was an original ending where Carolyn was pregnant. And Majel Barrett says, uh, he rapes her, makes love to her, whatever. Majel. They do mention, you know, that one of the original plans for the show that obviously never made it on air was that everybody was using birth control because they didn't want the women in the service to get pregnant and have babies and be on the ship. Um, but it's just, it's a great snapshot of Star Trek culture of that time period of the first Star Trek convention. The fans are already sort of almost more progressive than the show. And they're asking this whole mix of behind the scenes questions and in universe questions and, uh, women women related questions about the roles of women so i think it's a fascinating read and a good listen this is you know super early this is just two years after the show was off the air roughly yeah pretty and much. i think before the animated series obviously before phase two so this was before they knew that star trek was coming back in any way right yeah, no, they talk about how everybody's still watching it and how NBC still isn't really interested in it. So I'm going to jump t- 10 years after that. Um, <laughs> uh, again, it's like my last week where I was talking about an 80s movie. This is an 80s TV show. Um, I just saw, and either I had forgotten this existed or I didn't see it at the time, uh, a clip from the fourth season of Bork and Mindy, um, which was the Robin Williams show, which was a huge hit in the late seventies and early eighties. And in the fourth season, uh, William Shatner did a cameo where he accidentally cross beamed with Mork and his son, Mirth played by Jonathan Winters. And they end up holding all his bags. And there's just this funny thing. He's in a, robe he's in like a space robe but if you listen closely he's not okay so he's credited as william shatner as himself but in universe they talk to him as if he's captain kirk right right um and he's his robe his space robe has little epaulets on it kind of military kind of like a captain and mork asks him if spock's really gonna die um because this is 
early 1982 before the release of Star Trek II. And if you look at the dates, it was probably shot on the Paramount lot while they were shooting Star Trek II, um, which was shooting in late 81, early 82. Um, Shatner has the pointy sideburns and the same wig. <laughs> as, I was going to say hair, <laughs> but yes. <laughs> uh, same natural, beautiful hair as yes. Kirk. Um and it's just, it's a funny little scene. And, but if you really look at it, you can almost think this is canon. <laughs> that, uh, but I mean, because if you think about it, there's a lot of connections with Mork and Mindy because some of the costumes of Mork and Mindy end up on, were, were reuses of yep. the original series. And so this almost, you could almost make the case that this is a piece of Star Trek history when the, when, uh, Captain Kirk accidentally beamed into Mork's apartment in uh, 1982. It could happen. Um, yes. Yeah, I don't it, see why not. And Robin Williams has a, you know, we he was a big Star Trek fan. He had interactions, lots of interactions with the Voyager crew. He was supposed to be in a Next Generation episode. Uh, so I, I love that connection. I think it's kind of beautiful. That would have been so great. He, uh, Matt Frewer pl- played that character, the time travel yeah. uh, con man, Robin Williams. I mean, he was great, but Robin Williams would have been great too. So th- that's our little bit of fun for the week. And that's it for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week as we are every Friday with another episode of All Access Star Trek. In the meantime, please come to the site. You can read all the articles, all the information that we're talking about, and you can leave us some feedback, which I would personally really love. (laughs) Bye. Bye.